Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I hope you had a great weekend here on this beautiful Monday. I hope uh, hope everybody's doing great. It's been some wild weather lately. We go from... Uh, Extreme weather, like a, a what I th- it sh- it's a tropical storm that should have been named. <laughs> it's like a winter tropical storm last week, and then extreme cold on top of that. So it's uh, you know we 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 are, we can always guarantee one thing in coastal Mississippi: we're going to have some crazy weather. It's going to be hot. It's going to be cold. We're going to be threatened by hurricanes. You 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 name it, we we face it here in coastal Mississippi. Hey, listen, I had I saw a post the other day from my friend Josh Morgan, iCyclone, the top hurricane chaser in the world, who has made uh, coastal Mississippi his home part of the time. He has a place in, in L.A., and he's building a house in Bay St. Louis. He fell in love with this place during the uh, the COVID uh, days and weeks and months and years. And uh, But I saw a post where the house that he's building in Bay St. Louis is almost finished. And uh, he's built it so that it can withstand a major storm uh, to the gold standard, so to speak. And I thought we'd check back in with with uh, with uh, Josh because everything he does, everything he says on on X or on Facebook or on any of his other uh, channels, he's talking to an audience that's around the world. So when Josh speaks, he's uh, he's talking to a big audience about this beautiful place that he's fallen in love with. So uh, without any further ado, let me welcome my friend Josh. Morgan back to the Ricky Matthews show. How you doing, Josh? Real good, Ricky. Nice to be here. I was uh, I was surprised. I felt like I was your I'm just your hurricane season friend, so I'm I'm honored to get this winter winter invitation to be on the show. <laughs> it is, it is actually strange to see you this time of year, but you know, I thought, you know, with your with your house coming to fruition, uh, that we'd check in with you because the last time we talked, you had you had TV shows that you were contemplating and, you know, lots of stuff. And to the extent that you you were successful in that voice outside of Mississippi, it's good for us because you love this place. And when you speak about it, when you post pictures about it, it's uh, very affectionate. I mean, and, and it, that's very true, isn't it? Oh, 100 percent. I do. I, I will admit I talk the place up, uh, you know, quite a bit. I think, uh, you know, I, like I've always said, that slogan, the secret coast is so it's like whoever thought it up. It's really it's it's perfect because it is. I think it's one of the, the coastal Mississippi is one of the best kept secrets in the United States. And in fact, selfishly, a side of me, you know, doesn't want to blow the secret. So, you know, I don't want too many people coming down here making it crowded. <laughs> uh, I know the tourism people would disagree with that, and and I know you say that tongue in cheek, but you, but you know you know it's a place that when people come. They, they, it's easy to fall in love with this place and the people here. The people here are so welcoming, and that's cool. You had a, we're gonna, we'll talk about this before it's over with. You had a, a, a your first experience with Mardi Gras, and I can't wait to chat with you about about going to a Mardi Gras ball and what you experienced. Uh, you know, you're you're sort starting to immerse yourself, Josh, and it's exciting to see. 
Yeah, it's it's a fascinating subculture down here. You know, the whole like I, I think I was not completely aware, you know, as someone from, you know, New York and California, just, you know, you, I, I always thought of the, the sort of the south or the deep south is kind of like this monolith. And you realize that this kind of this region, like New Orleans into coastal Mississippi into Mobile, it's like it's definitely its own little universe. <laughs> Hey, so uh, you're actually in L.A. now, and I should remind people that you have a, a marketing company by the name of Symblaze and major customers, and it's, it's a marketing, and uh, you can describe it here in just a second. And then uh, you, you also are involved in uh, negotiating some potential TV deals for yourself going forward. So this particular trip to, to L.A., is it a little bit of both? Exactly. It's it's sort of a combo trip. You know, part of it is just, you know, stuff for Symblaze, which is our called a branding agency now, which is that we kind of help, you know, uh, customers, whether they're, you know, startups or blue chip companies, you know, just just sort of brand and create and then promote, you know, products or services or or whatever it might be. Uh, but yeah, I'm also here, you know, LA is, is still the sort of the heart of the, you know, the US or the world entertainment industry, really. And, uh, I have some new potential projects, you know, coming up. Uh, so I was here to kind of meet for uh, with with uh, some folks for some creative meetings. Uh, one thing, TV is like a tough business, and so you find, you know, you work on shows with people, and you find people you like to work with. Okay, this director, that editor, these producers. You find people you like to work with, and then you stick with them. And those are your those are like your people. And, you know, so I, so I was getting together with some, some uh, you know, some creative guys that I've worked with on previous projects. We're, we're talking about sort of creating a new a new show. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of getting together to brainstorm about it and how we're going to pitch it and everything else. And I'm very excited about it. You know, I'm, one thing I realized about myself is besides chasing hurricanes, I need to have projects going on, you know, whether it's building the house conceptualizing a new TV show, whatever it is, it's just, I'm, I'm happiest when I have creative projects. And uh, so I think I'm realizing that's one of the things that makes me tick. So working on the latest ones. Well, let's give people a little history about this. Uh, was Hurricane Man your first one? Hurricane Man was my first series that I starred in. I started doing TV. I'd never done any TV up until 2013. And in fact, it never even entered my mind to be on TV. It literally was just not, a, it wasn't a goal. It wasn't an interest of mine. And what happened was I was in the Philippines for a super typhoon Haiyan, which was sort of like their Katrina, I call it, uh, you know, huge category five smashed this city, thousands dead at the height of the storm. I jumped in the water to, to rescue folks that got caught on video. That video just went viral, went on every news network. CBS News, basically, when I got back to L.A., basically abducted me from my house. There was like a very aggressive producer who hunted me down, who wanted to get me on CBS Evening News to talk about my experiences. So I did that. And my mom was like, hey, you're pretty good on you're pretty good on camera. You know, you seem really natural. And that kind of started it. And I started doing, uh, you know, just TV shows, just appearing on stuff like Weather Gone Viral, just sort of little bit parts. And then finally, um, the big break was, uh, you know, I started really coveting, you know, TV and trying to get like a series going. And finally, a British producer, you know, all the way in the United Kingdom reached out to me and just, uh, you know, said, hey, we want, you know, I have a concept for a show. And at first I just thought, who is this? It sounds kind of crazy. But it became a BBC series called Hurricane Man. That was the first one. Yeah, it was well received. I remember talking about um 
in Australia, even it was a very popular show. It's, you just never know, do you? Yeah, you know, the, the life takes you on a <laughs> kind of winding road, and you really you, do, you just don't know, you know, what's going to come up, what's going to happen. If you told me, you know, when I was a teenager, oh, you know, you'll be on, you'll be, you know, having TV shows and you know, chasing storms professionally, I just would have been like, okay, no way. And uh, <laughs> here it is. <laughs> this is this is the weird lifestyle. <laughs> to me, I've said this to you before, but to, to me, the thing that's interesting about this is that in your business assemblies, where you've become sort of the salt after branding. You and your partner have whatever. I don't know how you do what you do, but I've I've seen your client list. You uh, you're sought after. You got you figured it out. What's interesting about that is that brand is about the emotional connection someone has with a product or a thing or whatever. And and so Josh has sort of refined his ability to do that. He's worked with some incredibly large customers around that, which is can be very complicated. And he's used all of those skill sets to grow what was never intended to be a business. You know, her, chasing hurricanes was just a, a, a dangerous hobby, I guess you could call it. You know, something that you were passionate about. And then you you turned it into a full-fledged business. And you used all the skills from your assembly side to, to sort of pull it off. And it's interesting the way you've done that. I definitely did sort of, you know, like you said, take my skills from one profession to to sort of develop the other. And you know, you hit the nail on the head about brand. It is about at the end of the day, it's that <clears throat> excuse me, that emotional connection. And what I, you know, after 20 years of doing this, of creating, of conceptualizing brands, I could say that you know, frustratingly, I still haven't figured out what what the formula is, like the secret equation to make a brand that's going to speak to a specific target audience, activate them, excite them. It still has this strange, you know, it's it's this weird, it's like voodoo, you know, you just don't know like how the ingredients, why they come together sometimes, why they work and why they fail. It's kind of like hurricanes. You have some system in the Gulf. Why does one become a category five and one just fizzles out. It's like brands are kind of that way too. And yeah. You just don't know. We have a pretty good batting average, but there is that kind of mysterious, like it's that creative kind of process that, you know, to, to, to get to that end point. Yeah. Brand is so important as a former CEO, you can imagine, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. So there's a, you know, you want to have as much Inf, uh, customer informed data as you can have. So research is important, but you know, science only gets you part of the way there. You know, you, it gives you some, uh, some understanding. And uh, by the way, it's only going to be as good as the questions that are asked. Ultimately there's, right. there's some uh, gut, there's a lot of gut in it. You know, there's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of understanding exactly what the product does, et cetera. You know, a hundred percent. I mean, when we start working with a client, like let's say they want to, you know, they're going to launch a product and they want us to, to create an identity for it. Like, and that's our favorite kind of project. We call it like the white canvas project where <clears throat> the product or service that they're developing, whatever it is, it doesn't even have a name yet. That's what we love because we can come in and really, it's like a blank mannequin. So, so what, hey, let's pick it up there. We're at the end of this segment. This is Josh Morgan, the hurricane chaser who is just finishing a house in Bay St. Louis. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But we're actually having a little bit more of a conversation about branding, which is what his core business is all about. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. And I have my friend, Mr. Icyclone himself, the hurricane man, Josh Morgan, top hurricane chaser in the world, literally. Uh, if there were a book, if there were a world record for this, he would get that. He would he would win that. Maybe one day there will be. But so, so but when we went to break, well, this is odd to actually talk to Josh in the winter time, and we'll chat a little bit about the weather and some other stuff. The, the building his house and uh, Bay St. Louis, something that he's really he's become a, sort of an ambassador to coastal Mississippi. Frankly, uh, as he speaks to his worldwide audience about this passion he has for this place. Um, you know, ambassadors come in all forms, and Josh is now one of them for us, and we're excited about that. But when we went to break, we actually were talking a little bit about his company, Simblaze, and the work that they do. What I thought was interesting about what you said is we were just, you know, getting to the break and had that hard stop. I thought it was interesting that some of the companies that you're working for, when they bring you into the conversation about a product or a service, they don't even have a name for it yet, which, you know, that is, that's where you want to start, isn't it? Because you, that's where you can really influence the outcome, isn't it? hundred percent. And it's our favorite kind of project. That said, sometimes we're, we're brought in to do a rebrand, you know, where there's like, okay, there's an existing brand, but they need to freshen it. And that happens more and more, you know, it used to be like, traditionally you created a brand and then it was like this, it was this monument that was like not to be touched or altered in any way. It was like it had this little sacred quality. And that is not how brands are now. Even like blue chip mainstream consumer brands, you'll notice like just the most mainstream brands like for fast food franchises, every couple of years, the logo seems to like adjust or kind of streamline a little. Brands are, are more fluid now. So there's a lot of that going on in the brand world. But the point I wanted to make before you know, when we when we sit down, I said there's no formula, but there's a couple, there's best practices that we apply. So when we're working with a new brand. I always say there's two things. I always say to the client, if you're going to learn anything from this process, these are the two things I want you to learn. One is that you reverse engineer the brand from the audience that you're trying to excite or activate. So you've got to really get inside their heads. What are their passions? What, what does that audience want? What keeps them up at night? What are their anxieties? And the brand, you should actually reverse engineer to kind of press those buttons. I know it sounds very manipulative, but that's <clears throat> what branding is. And the other thing is you got to understand what makes your brand different than every other brand in its space. So if I'm in the grocery store and I'm looking at, you know, 30 brands of laundry detergents in front of me, why am I going to pick that one? And you've got to understand that. If you don't understand what your point of differentiation is, don't even bother. Hey, you, you know, it's interesting. I said that. I said this a lot in my career when talking to businesses. They may have a product that they're excited about, but you know, five years from now, they actually may have another product that they're excited about. <laughs> you know, it may another product may could be an iteration of the current product, or maybe the current product doesn't even exist anymore, and they got a different product. Same true if you're in the services business. You know, companies are are constantly evolving. In fact, the moment you as a business think you have arrived is the moment you start to go backwards. That's just the way it works. It's constant journey of refreshing and whatever. And what I say to these businesses um, when I'm when I'm talking to them specifically about marketing is that they may see themselves as being in that product business or that service business, but in fact, if they really are serious about success, they're actually in the marketing business business. You know, their ability to apply marketing principles and to sell their products 
uh, is the key to their success. And the, if they get great at it, then they can bring in more products and more services and build their company. But at the end of the day, at the core, they're in the marketing business. And you, I bet you say that a lot too, don't you? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I mean, and you see it when you work with some clients that some are just going to be better and more passionate ambassadors for their brands and others. You know, when we work with clients, we hope that they have that fire, that they're excited about what they're creating, but also again, that they understand that they know how to tell the story. Part of what we do, people think of branding as, oh, okay, I'm hiring a company to create a logo. The logo is one very small part of it. The bigger thing is creating the kind of, we call it, I don't want to over-intellectualize it, but what we call the brand narrative, which is, okay, helping the client understand how, how to tell their story in a compelling, concise way that stands out, again, that differentiates. Yeah, so so interesting to, to hear more about what you do in your, I say, I used to say in your real life, but your real life actually is two, dual, two, two businesses that are coexisting. One is your hurricane chasing world that has TV shows and social media and products attached to it, and the other is Simblaze. It's, a, it's an interesting sort of dichotomy, isn't it? A hundred percent, you know, and I was working on, when I was working on Hurricane Man, they wanted to bring out those two sides. They said it was like a Superman Clark Kent thing. And I, I feel like, you know, I bring my Superman persona down to Mississippi as like the hurricane chaser. And I feel like, I feel like I'm revealing a little too much of my other side, <laughs> other side down here. It's like coming out of the closet is like a corporate guy. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, isn't that something? And you, you very much are. That's for sure. You understand how it works. Hey, listen, um, I'm excited about you uh, in your house. You know, you've talked about you know the process you've gone through to build it to make it you know wind resistant and the gold standard process you've gone through and all that. But you know now you're actually posting pictures of completed rooms. You know, you know you haven't put your furniture in yet, but you've got your just painted and you know it's to really come together. It's been it's been a fun project to watch, but you you got to be excited about coming to completion. It's weird. I'm having mixed emotions about it. So I. I have enjoyed the process. You know, I've never built a home before. I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of jumped in and, you know, it's gone okay. It's it's interesting. I walk around the almost completed house and it's like 99% there. I'm going to be in it in probably two weeks. And I, I'm happy with how it came out, like like the layout, everything. There's very few things where I'm like, oh, I wish we did it differently. And, you know, I'm lucky I have a great builder, Bo Ladner of Paramount Contracting. He's he's just a master builder of custom homes. And he's this is a small project for him, but he's really guided me through the process. The house is beautiful. I'm very happy with it. But but the mixed emotions come in in the sense that I've had this giant project for the last year and it's it's almost going to be over. And I'm like, there's a side of me that, you know, doesn't want it to end. I almost, I, I'm feeling like, gosh, do I need to like build another house or something? I don't know, because I'm going to have like postpartum depression once I'm in it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen actually. Cause when you get in, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go into a new stage of your life. I, I tell you, we've built, Ann and I built many over our, over our relationship together. And, um, you know, Every time we get done, we're, we, we we breathe a big sigh of relief, and and as you know, she's contemplating. Well, I say it's beyond contemplation. We're we're about to build a a pool house, because our son Justin lives in New York. It's pretty clear he won't be coming back home permanently. But we when he does bring his family, we want a place for them to be able to stay and be happy there, and so we'll have a kind of a little guest house behind our house that we're really excited about getting started on pretty soon. But she's. Full bore, and you, you know, you, you got to, you know, discuss this with her. She could be in the build building business herself right now. I mean, she is extraordinarily good at it, and 
understands every nook and cranny of a building project. That is for sure. You saw that, didn't you? Oh, last time the three of us had dinner, I mean, I mean, she had all kinds of good advice. I could tell she was sound like she was the project manager there. She was like among the two of you. She was she really was just giving all kinds of useful advice, which is helpful because, you know, this process has been like a learning one for me. Yeah, I know. I know it has. I know it has been. So, um, you know, you look at man. You come to coastal Mississippi last week, man. That that weather that came through here. I mean, it felt. Of course, the cool air is what you know. What what told you it wasn't tropical season, but man, was it was it an interesting storm system? I mean, we had uh, in, in my sister's backyard, a beautiful boat got delivered into her, her backyard for someone who had not raised their lift. The boat came off, and you see other damage. People generally were pretty good at understanding what we need to do, but I was probably six inches from having some trouble with with at least one of my boats. And thank goodness the water didn't continue to rise but you were over in Hancock County you had some pretty had four four foot storm surge over there <clears throat> that's pretty significant that was the thing I think that most surprised me about this you know I learned new things every day you know living down here and and the thing that surprised me was that it was you know it was basically a frontal system and yet there was storm surge with it <laughs> like that yeah. was that was like I, I was not expecting that I mean one thing I the big thing I've learned since living down here is, you know, and it's something very unique to the U.S. Gulf Coast and specifically to Mississippi is like you look at the coast funny and it floods. I mean, it's just like I mean, it's just there's certain like like parts of Beach Boulevard and Bay St. Louis that literally the thing the the moment where I really learned this it was in 2020. There was a lame little tropical storm hitting Matagorda, Texas, and parts of Beach Boulevard and Bay St. Louis were underwater from that 400 miles away. And that's when I really understood, okay, this place really floods easily. But this event, I mean, there was like, there was real significant storm surge. It was, it was incredible. And it was, it was really surprising. Now I noticed on, on the Twitterverse, a lot of people were like, what is this? It's not tornado season. This is crazy. Well, actually in the, if, if tornadoes are going to happen, the deep South is where they're going to happen. So it's actually not as crazy as some people suggested for the, for there to be a tornado outbreak in January, in the deep South. It's actually, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's ordinary, but it's, it, like I said, if there's going to be tornadoes in the U S they're going to be in Mississippi, Alabama, way down here. So it wasn't completely unprecedented. Yeah, when you saw the models uh, showing the uh, the the uh, wind at the at the higher elevations just screaming in one direction, and then at the surface going in another direction, it was it was kind of the it, everything was there. That warm air and that cold air coming together, it was there. So it wasn't surprising. For example, we got lucky. I mean, I think we had a a few a few situations that might have been tornadoes or something like that. Um, but you know, when you saw what happened in Panama City, for example, you know, a pretty significant. Uh, tornado went through there. Uh, we're lucky. We, we that could have happened here very easily, couldn't it have? Oh, hundred percent. You know, and God, my my heart broke for Panama City. You know, they had a direct hit. They were in the eye wall of a Category Five Hurricane Michael in 2018. So we're talking like you know a little more than five years ago, and here they are getting a, a significant tornado. I mean, they just can't catch a break. You know, I feel I really it was like that was awful to see that. I felt that we did kind of eke by on the coast. It seemed like the significant stuff. 
which did surprise me, was a little north of the coast. Like I think in Bay St. Louis, we had heavy rain up in the kill. They actually had hail. There was a tornado warning a little north of Biloxi. It seemed like the stuff was just a little off the coast, which is typical of severe weather. Yeah, in fact, um, I said it was around 1230, somewhere around that, 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 um, that tornado warning came to Biloxi. And, you know, family members were calling to say, y'all, OK, everything good. But it was a little bit north of where we were. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll continue our conversation with Josh Morgan. and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Josh Morgan, the top hurricane chaser in the world who made coastal Mississippi what is this temporary home? I guess it's going to be I bet it's going to be your permanent home uh, at least during during hurricanes, so you'll have you'll go forward with basically sort of a mutually beneficial dual residency. Is that how you're looking at it? Yeah, I got to figure out the specifics, but 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 the plan is to end up here. Uh, you know, I, I look at storm chasing. It's kind of like it's like being a professional tennis player, and like right now I'm at my peak. But you know, at some point I'm going to be you know 80 years old, and I'm going to you know, and I'm still going to want to stay in the kind of the senior tour. So if I'm living down here. I could do local chases on the coast, stuff like that, you know, so I can live in a, a town that I love and a coast that I love and, and also just kind of, you know, just be right here for my sport, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you picked it for you know, centrally located. There's a lot of incredible history, unfortunate hurricane history here in coastal Mississippi, especially in Hancock County. Hey, one other comment I wanted to make about the, the weather system last week, um, what, you're, what you're learning is what you already knew, and that is that places like the, that Bend area of Hancock County and then over in Tampa, that are the Big Bend area of Apalachicola to Tampa in that area, they are hurricane, they are hurricane surge magnets because of the, the de- because first of all, there's nowhere for the water to go, and the water is incredibly shallow. So as that water builds up off coast, it really doesn't have any place to go. The same is true for how that that um, that storm surge happened last week. Anytime we have an extended period of time of stiff offshore winds that are from the southeast or the east. It essentially does the same thing. It's obviously not as powerful as when we would have a, a hurricane, but it does uh, it does drive the storm surge up. So at my house, it felt just like a tropical storm was going through. I mean, it felt just the same way, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you're you're right. Just a little bit of you know an extended period of just kind of strong winds blowing on shore. That's enough to do it. A little bit of low pressure, you know, going by. It's just the slightest things. And you talked about the shallow water. That is the main ingredient. You know, and I always talk about this. You know, where I grew up on Long Island in New York. When I go to the beach. When we, you know, we go to the beach every day. We li- I lived in a beach town, and you go in the water, and you go like you know twenty feet out, and you're in deep water. Here. I mean, I find it almost frustrating. You got to walk like a mile out, and it's up to your knees. Like you just, you can't. It's like you can't get in the water. It's so shallow, and that, that shallow, that that gentle slope offshore. And this is very counterintuitive for fo- folks. That makes the storm surge worse. Deep water actually mitigates storm surge. That shallow water, it just it's some kind of fluid dynamic thing that I don't understand. I'm not a physicist, but that actually augments the surge, and that that 
there's nowhere like the Mississippi coast for that. It just, it's nuts. It is, it just absolutely is a perfect place for crazy surges. The biggest one, of course, being Katrina. The, the, as far as I know, a storm surge expert told me the biggest in, in Mississippi, the biggest storm surge on record in the Western hemisphere. Right. That's what I, that's what I learned too. And in many, many speeches along the way, I, I said that. Uh, pretty consistently. Hey, listen, uh, uh, Mark Suddeth and others uh, in the in the tropical arena are making comments about the upcoming hurricane season. Uh, we had an El Nino year, and everything that you would have expected in El Nino year has happened, including this winter and, and what we're experiencing now. But a lot of the prognosticators are looking ahead into the next hurricane season, and they don't necessarily like what they see. What, what, do, you, what do you see when you look at your sources? Yeah, I mean, right now it's just sort of the, the sort of the the underground rumblings. But what I'm hearing, the little pieces I'm putting together, is it looks like we might be having another big season because. Right now, like you said, we're in the El Nino. El Nino tends to suppress activity in the Atlantic, but it looks like we're going to go to what's called Enzo Neutral, which is which is going to be more favorable for hurricane formation. The waters across the main development region of the Atlantic remain very warm. I think I think it's going to be another. It could be another big hurricane season. One thing, big picture, just stepping back. You know, hurricanes happen according to you know around the world. Hurricanes are what what they call typhoons in East Asia, cyclones in Australia. They they tend to have these um, you know multi decade phases, like long phases. So you'll have whole decades or or even periods of twenty or thirty years where certain patterns get entrenched. I feel big picture. What I've noticed. Up until the late teens, the Atlantic was kind of dead. The Pacific was on fire, and I felt all the chasing I was doing was in, in, the, in the early to mid-teens. Everything, I was just, just in East Asia, basically living there, chasing typhoons. There's nothing to chase in the Atlantic. It was kind of slow. Big shift happened in 2017 where the U.S. just got hammered by all these big hurricanes. And basically, since then, the Atlantic has just been on fire and it looks to me like that that period you know we're only about i guess seven years into it but it looks like we're just in a phase where the atlantic is really hopping and of course that's not great news for the u.s and gulf coast residents because all the hurricanes that we get that hit the united states are from the atlantic yeah that's uh that's that's unfortunate to see but we will enjoy the cold weather for now (laughs) you can enjoy it i hate it And in due time, we will. I don't like it either, to be honest with you. It's, it's great for duck hunting and deer hunting, that's for sure. But bottom line is, uh, you know, we'll enjoy the cool weather and not have to talk too much about the pending hurricane season until we get closer to the start of that, that hurricane season. Um, you know, I've, one of the things I've always had at the house is weather stations, man. I, like during Hurricane Katrina, the last wind that I got on my weather station that was located out on the pier was 67 miles per hour. It died at 67 miles per hour. You know, by then the water was up high and um, I, I just, you know, it, it just wasn't in a position where it was going to work properly anymore. I, I just don't think, you know, there was a lot about Hurricane Katrina that 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 uh, laid that particular uh, weather station to rest. But um, but you're building weather stations into your house at, at the Hurricane House in Bay St. Louis, and you've had a lot of experience with them. What, what kind of what kind of station are you putting up? 
Oh, yeah. No, I'm being hardcore about it. Like, I'm not messing around. So I want, you know, Bay St. Louis, you know, as you said before, Hancock County has some big hurricane history, you know, not just Katrina, but the eye of Hurricane Camille, second strongest hurricane in American history, Category 5, passed right over Bay St. Louis. So I want to be ready. I want to measure, you know, the next Camille, basically. So I am installing a weather station and making sure that it's going to stay up no matter what. So when you measure wind, the, the sort of standard elevation to measure wind to get a proper reading, believe it or not, a surface wind is measured at, I think you know this, Ricky, but just for listeners, it's measured at 10 meters, 33 feet off the ground. So that's a regulation sort of height. So I'm getting actually a big mast, a big sturdy mast driven into the back lawn, far from the house, far from any trees. So that, and you know, I'm only a block from the Gulf. So it's, it's a perfectly exposed place to just get amazing wind data next hurricane that comes in so that mass is going to be put in and at the top i'm putting a kestrel met 6000 which is the high-end weather station from kestrel instruments and this thing um it's going to transmit the data it, it works on solar power so i don't have to climb up that mass to change the batteries every month it works on solar power and it transmits wirelessly uh you know to the cloud so i can just get that information on my computer while it's happening or i can get it remotely if i'm not there but i'm not leaving i'm staying there for any hurricane but uh that's i'm setting that up and i'm this is like weather nerds paradise because a block from the gulf in that location at some point i'm gonna i'm gonna collect some scientifically very valuable data in fact, you, you, you'll end up being sort of an official station for, for, for doing that because, as you well know, part of, the, part of the issue with data from hurricanes is there aren't enough recording stations. So people, as a result, I think people draw conclusions that that storm may not have been as strong. But the bottom line was that they just didn't have, you know, verifiable data coming from where, like, say, for example, the eye wall went through. So, you know, there, it, that's an issue, isn't it? A hundred percent. Hurricane is really big, but like when, when they say a hurricane has winds of 150 miles an hour, what that means is that's the maximum wind anywhere in the system. And that maximum, that wind, that band of maximum winds usually covers a very small area. So the chance of that very small band, let's say it's a mile or two wide, passing over an official properly calibrated weather station is very low. So it almost never happens that winds on the coast are rec recorded that equal what the official intensity is. It almost never happens because that band of maximum winds doesn't perfectly pass right over station. So the more stations, the better, the, the higher the chance that we're going to get some representative readings that really tell you how strong it was. Hey, uh, just, uh, just a quick, quick comment. My weather station during Hurricane Katrina was at about 30 feet. So it wasn't quite to the 33 feet where That's it was located. It was on the pier, um, and then we, of course, we had a second level that was a deck, so you could go up, you know, go up the, the stairs to the second level. It was at approximately 20 feet there, and then above that, um, we put a 10-foot pole in, and then it was it was mounted on the top of that 10-foot pole. So there was there were a lot of layers, you know, before you got there. Of course, during Hurricane Katrina, the entire deck was washed away, and it was at 20 feet. So you know, it's just one of those things. 
I, I you know, just having been at your house, it always amazes me just that the water got up there. But actually, thirty feet, the Hurricane Center would consider that close enough. Three feet is yeah. just that. That's actually you had a you had a good setup there with good exposure. It was, it was. I thought I thought we were going to be ready to roll, uh, not not realizing that storm surge was going to be the thing to take it all out before it's all over. There wasn't there wasn't a trace of any of that when the storm was over. But uh, I'm not the only one who can say that. <clears throat> hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll continue our conversation with, with Josh Morgan as he sort of uh, you know immerses himself in the, in the local culture. I'm curious about what he thought about a Mardi Gras ball. That had to have been culturally shocking to him. We'll, we'll see what he has to say when we get on the other side. to more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio, and I'm enjoying catching up with my friend Josh Morgaman. Uh, this, is, this is actually a first. We've never talked to Josh during the wintertime, and that doesn't mean a hurricane's coming. It just means Josh is coming. He's moving uh, permanently, or at least having a dual residence, finishing his house in Bay St. Louis, a, a, a town and a community he, got, he fell in love with during the pandemic. So that's good for us, because he's speaking to a very significant worldwide audience when he talks about his love of this place. Speaking about your love of the place, though, as I mentioned before we went to break, Mardi Gras season is, um, is, is here, and uh, boy, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance around around the, the hurricane, excuse me, around the Mardi Gras season, and you went to a ball recently, and you got to see some of the grandeur of it all. What was your impression? Yeah, whoa, okay, where to begin? The, the, the Mardi Gras thing. Okay, so <laughs> it's like this onion, the more the more layers I peel back, the more the, the more that's revealed. So I, the first Mardi Gras I ever did, I was 17. I grew up in New York. We came down to New Orleans for a field trip with my uh, like high school orchestra. And you know, this is before parents were so protective like they are now. They just set us loose you know, on Fat Tuesday in the city and just said, "Okay, be back to the bus by 10 or whatever." And you know, and I mean, that was just my first experience, which was just like, wow. I mean, that kind of blew my mind. I'd never been down there. It was just so colorful. But I thought it was just, you know, like I think a lot of people outside this region, I thought it was just, okay, Mardi Gras, like a day or a week kind of. Then I'm like, okay, it's a season. Then I'm like, no, it's actually a lifestyle. <laughs> it just it gets bigger and bigger the more I learn about it. You know, I have these friends in Biloxi, uh, you know, that I've become, you know, these folks that I've become very good friends with, Tara Fimiano and uh, Jim St. Clair. They're a couple and they're very involved with, they're each in, you know, he's in the Neptune crew, she's in the Hera crew. I'm like, Cruz, what are you talking about? What is this? I mean, they're constantly having to teach me. So I went to the Hera crew ball last Saturday night and like, okay, mind blown again. What's, what, fascinated me about it was the this extreme almost like this ritualized 
pageantry, that just the the sort of intricacies and formality of it, even the way, you know, the, the king and the queen and the dukes and the maids, the way they wave a certain way, like like I could see everyone's like trained to wave a certain way, and just the, the acid trip colors. I mean, the whole thing was just like blew my mind. I feel like I've just entered, like it's like Alice in Wonderland. I went down the rabbit hole and I'm in Mardi Gras season. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the acid trip colors, but you know, tr- truthfully, that's that's right. I mean, it's uh, it's the, the the grander, the better. The more color, the better. You know, each each of the dukes and the king, all, they all have their their color combinations, and the next have their color combinations, and it all comes together in this this wonderful you know uh, process that people just enjoy being part of. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, it is, it is really like it's out there. I mean, like, and I say this affectionately because I, I love like weirdness. But man, it was like for 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 this guy who's not from here, it was like wow, this is really out there. And I loved it. I have to say, there's just there's something. And I know people from you know from other parts of the south say this, but they they think of this region as kind of like a little decadent and and. <laughs> I think that's this is where it really comes through. It's just it's everything. It's just it's just the colors. It's the glitter. It's the whole. It's just like it's over the top and very unapologetically so. And I find it awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then of course uh, we have Fat Tuesday, and then uh, and then we have Lent starts for for the Catholics and others who observe Lent, and. Um, it's just part of the tradition, you know. And you know what? Having been publisher uh, of the Times Picayune in New Orleans, you know, and then also Mobile, because Mobile always claims that the first Mardi Gras parade uh, was in Mobile. And of course, we've said that same thing here. But of course, you in New Orleans, I mean, no one denies the the depths of uh, of the New Orleans culture as it relates to Mardi Gras. But man, they got anything you want there. <laughs> some, some of it extreme. Uh, when I came to the community, both Mobile and New Orleans, I mean, like the first thing that happens is you you sort of get ordained as a leader. You know, you know, you, you, we want to invite you to be part of this crew or invite you to be part of this crew, and you know, to really be into the inner circle of this community, you got to be involved in that over there. And uh, it was uh, it was time consuming, that is for sure. Um, but I always enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that that the crews are basically when I realized they're social clubs, they're year round social clubs. And and definitely it's sort of at some point if you want to, it's part of what you do to kind of participate here in the community. That yeah, happens. yeah. And, and, and listen, I won't mention any numbers on the air, but uh but uh, you know, having been involved for a long time, to be king, for example, of the Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, Carnival Association parade and 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 that what we call the Big Mardi Gras is extremely expensive. I mean, it's it's, it's so it it is a gigantic commitment. And uh, but people, you know, they do it every year, and they're all engaged in it, and they can't wait to do it again. And that's the way it is, and that's part of our culture. Hey, listen, Josh, it's been great to catch up with you, my friend. Awesome to be back uh, and to kind of come here off season. I'm uh, like I said, I'm honored that you thought that I'd be relevant during the winter. So <laughs> in the you. winter, yeah. Well, we'll look forward to as the season progresses, uh, as it gets closer. We'll we'll check in with you and see what you what you see on your crystal ball. But until then, we'll see you, my friend. Thanks, Ricky. Great to be back. You bet. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.